Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Bad Dad, Brad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week and then crown the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. We're actually going to start this week with talking about a word that keeps kind of coming up in our lives right now and circulating around and it's just become this thing we're talking about a lot. And that word is generosity. Um, it's something that has come up when we've discussed in prior episodes the generosity with which we find some artists extend, some filmmakers extend to their audiences. And it's just something that's that's been circulating in our kind of conversations about people in our lives as well. And so my book club, I'm in a book club that does a, um, we're called a mood readers book club, and we don't actually read all the same book, but we pick a theme for every month and people can read as many books as they want on that theme and then come and talk about them. And our theme for April is nonfiction. I love nonfiction books. Um, actually struggle to read when I'm teaching literature. So nonfiction's a nice kind of break from the literary stuff. And so the first book I picked up, and I actually read it in one day, um, is the book Your Art Will Save Your Life by Beth Pickens. Um, and I just devoured this book. It went so quickly through me, and it made me feel a lot of feelings and think about a lot of things. And then I shared a lot of those parts with you. Yeah. And I've read sections of them out loud. I was reading a lot of it while you were getting your haircut and I was sitting in the car. Um, and there's one part of it that really spoke to me that actually is specifically not the headline, that's the wrong word for it, but the title of the section is generosity. And we'd already been talking about this word a lot. And so I read this part to you and it seemed to speak to both of us. And so I'm going to read it and then maybe ask you why it speaks to you. Yeah, do it. Okay. So this is a section of Beth Pickens' book, Your Art Will Save Your Life. Another aspect of generosity and how it operates in your art practice is being generous with your work by letting it be in the world. I bet you have lots of examples of artworks that have changed or even saved your life. The examples probably go back pretty far. Maybe some of the work, songs, books, images, films, don't mean the same thing to you now, but they did mean something critical in your life at one time. Think about a work that has recently blown your mind, something that makes you want to be alive and on the planet. Ask yourself, what is the work that makes you so grateful for artists? You will make work that has enormous impact on someone. 
You may never meet or hear from them, but someone will encounter a work that you make and it will do something transformative for them. They will be grateful you exist, thankful you made the work and let it be out in the world. Yeah, I, I love that so much. As soon as you read that to me, that resonated with me on so many levels because I feel like everything that we do here and stuff that we've talked about is exactly that. The story that I shared about Arcade Fire is a piece of work recently that has just hit me on that level. And then on that topic of generosity, all the movies we watch are that. This is a bunch of creative people that have come together to work together to put something out there for us to consume. And it can affect all of us in different ways, on different levels. Thankfully, you and I get on the same wavelength about <laughs> most these. Most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, when you when you read that, it also just reinforced how important this podcast has become to our life and how much, you know, by by, you know, looking at how many people are choosing to tune in and listen each week and engage with us and people have talked to us about the episodes and got excited about them or watched a movie because we watched it or started doing their own version of mystery movie picks um when they go to watch movies like the fact that we can have these little tiny influences either while somebody's listening or post listening it's it's so cool and i'm, I'm so grateful that we're able to do that and to do this together and just keep that you know that loop that loop of feeling great and positivity and sharing great art together like i don't know i love it this is this is this kind of stuff i live for (laughs) (laughs) well i think one of the things that really spoke to me about it is and you and i have talked about this before on prior episodes is that we've both been art makers in different respects throughout our lives like for most of my life i like identified as a writer um i was like writing i was that kid who was writing stories and then you know like wanted my own laptop so i could keep writing and um but i always had this real fear and still do about like putting that writing out into the world and i recently because of the generosity of a mentor that i have actually tried to i put something out there for publication for the first time ever and i got rejected which is part of the process (laughs) but i was like really proud of myself for trying to do that and that was before we started making this little thing that we're making together and i think what really spoke to me about that is this idea that like it's generous to put your art out into the world even when you're afraid of it you're not afraid of your art (laughs) sometimes but afraid of putting it out there because it's scary and it's vulnerable and that's a tough thing yeah and i yeah it really just what resonated with me is the fact that so many things that have connected with me both from small projects of people that I've you know had the great honor to actually meet um to like the biggest filmmakers and musicians that I'll and writers that I'll likely never have the chance to meet and personally think I wouldn't have had to, been able to have that experience if they hadn't been generous enough to put their work out even when it was scary and so I guess that's kind of what that left me with is that like it's a generous thing to do the scary thing yeah which is really cool so that's kind of been this like ethos that we're trying to live our lives with right now at this moment and it's it's great and it's really nice yeah no big time and one more piece that i wanted to say on that too is that like you said we've each kind of had our own creative endeavors of putting things out there and i've been in bands in the past where you know you kind of you work your way up you write the music and then you 
gather up some money and some time to go and record that music and there's all of that process and then there's the lead up to releasing that music and then it all happens at once if you release a single people are with it for two minutes however long the song is and then they're out and then it either had an effect on them or it didn't like it's like a lot and then it's a lot of time between maybe the next thing that you're doing what i love about what we're doing here is that because it's become this weekly thing is that we're able to move so quickly and put things out so frequently and adjust and learn and adapt and find new ways to infuse creativity into this thing and learn from other people that are listening or connecting with us uh, on social media or whatever it is. I don't know. I just, this is a medium that feels really conducive to the kind of creativity that both you and I really like to do. I mean, I guess my hope for you would be that you could take some lessons from that and apply it to music in the future. Yeah, I, I think that I think that I can. I, I'm, I've learned a lot in the four episodes we've <laughs> yeah, put out so far. The, the two and a half weeks we've been doing this. But yeah. Yeah. And anyway, that's cool. And I um that little section just really spoke to me from from that book. And, you know, speaking of generosity, I, I have the book because I won it in a contest from a local artist, um, Emily Chu, who does artwork and is local to to our city. And thought that this was a really fantastic book and wanted to get it out to other artists. So that's how I got the book. That just was this little little nugget that I needed at a particular moment. So cool. Thanks for Very sharing, cool. babe. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the movies. We watched six movies this week with an interesting theme that we didn't mean to... We didn't set out to have that three of them have something very particular in common but the first one does not so tell us what you picked for the first movie of the week so yeah it was the mystery movie pick um that fell on my shoulders for the first one of the week i chose the movie incendies which is a 2010 film it was directed by denis uh (laughs) done i phonetically spelled this out so that i would get it right denis villeneuve Denis Villeneuve. I, I, I don't know why I felt like I need to phonetically spell out his first name, but that's what threw me. Yeah, in. like you've, Denis you've literally Villeneuve. said to me multiple times this week, it's Denis Villeneuve. It's Denis Villeneuve. And now you're the one who's messed it up. <laughs> you look like such a schmuck. Oh, well. Denis Sorry, Villeneuve. Denis. It was directed by him. It was also written by him as well as uh, Valerie Bogard Champagne, uh, Wajdi Mawood as well. But it's based on the play by him. Yes. Um, and it stars Libna Isabel, Melissa uh, Des, Desmora, Desmora Pula, Maxime Godot. Or sorry, Godet. <laughs> You're having some problems. Whew. The French people are getting yeah, you today. Big time. Apologies. <laughs> Apologies to all of the French. Uh, the synopsis for this one. Twins journey to the Middle East to discover their family history and fulfill their mother's last wishes. The reason that I chose this is... I think both of us have kind of wanted to delve into Denis Villeneuve's back catalog a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, some movies of his that we've seen that we've really loved. I mean, I really, I thought Dune was an awesome experience. We really liked Arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't seen it in a while, but Prisoners, I remember that being, um, that resonating a lot. Um, we've seen Polytechnique. Polytechnique, Enemy. Um, oh yeah, we watched Enemy recently and like, I, I really liked it. Yeah, it was very good. So this was another one that was just oh, kind of Blade Runner. Yes, twenty forty nine. But this was an this was one that was on the list for a really long time, and I I I wanted to dive in and uh, take a look at it. It was also like it's very highly rated, and we've never seen it, so wanted to take a chance on it. So 
curious, what are your thoughts on incendies? So when I figured out what it was, because this is one that's been kind of, that I've actually considered picking over the last couple of weeks, but it's quite long. Was it like two hours and 10 minutes, two hours and 20 minutes? Something like that, yeah. Um, And so, you know, often on like a weeknight, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think we've started it early enough to watch this movie. So I, I've actually been thinking about picking it, which is a cool thing when then you pick it. It was really different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Admittedly, since we've started really delving into the spirit of this mystery movie pick thing that we do, even when I pick a movie, I try not to know too much about it. Um, so like I kind of am enjoying letting the movie be an experience that's not shaded by anything that I've watched in the trailers or read online. I mean, that's not entirely possible all of the time, but I actually really didn't know very much about this. And just based on the um, the image that's up on Letterboxd when you go and look at it, I just had a completely different understanding of what I thought this movie was going to be about. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I, I feel like it was like halfway through the movie and you're like, this is nothing like what I was expecting. And and on top of that, it, it wasn't what I was expecting just from my own perception of the images I had seen. But it also wasn't what I was expecting because it felt very different from all of the other Villeneuve films that we've seen. Yeah. Like what? I guess my question to you is having seen so many of them, like we just rattled them off. We've seen a lot of his movies. Yeah. What is something that's distinct about a Denis Villeneuve film? I think that there's something in how he captured. He has a very specific eye in each of his movies. Like I just feel like he he's really good at capturing both very intimate moments, mm-hmm. but also really expansive moments. Yeah, that's fair. Like, yeah, that he takes these kind of things that are unique to a particular character. And then attaches them to wild, wider worlds. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and I like, get that. Yeah, yeah. I would say that that's true, maybe with the exception of Polytechnique. I don't know. I haven't seen that in a really long time. Yeah. But again, there, I think, having not seen it for a long time, I just remember that movie feeling very intimate. And I think that's just because of the setting mm-hmm. of where it is and, like, the feeling he wants to evoke. And while, like, those things are not unique to Denis Villeneuve, like... As soon as we're in, I'm just like, yes, this feels like one of his movies. Mm. That's how I felt with this one, too. Yeah. It, so it it was interesting because I I kind of felt as I was watching it like that I, I was figuring out what it was about as the movie was unfolding. And with every new kind of direction it took, it was like putting a puzzle together. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really realize that it was going to be that kind of a movie. It ended up even like getting close to the end, I, I it kind of switched tacks for me and I didn't realize it was going to be um, what I'm going to call a what's in the box film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just didn't know that about it, that there was going to be something that we were trying to find out. Right. Yeah. I didn't expect that either. And maybe, maybe people know that about this movie and maybe other people going into it would have known, but that heightened the experience for me being like, oh, I didn't know that we were going in this direction. Something that you and I both kind of had on our minds as we were watching it. It was one of the first things that we talked about afterwards was this question of like whose stories get told and, and by whom. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. When I was younger, I both in um, literature and and film, I was never that interested in knowing where something was set. Like I didn't really care about ge- the geography of it all. But I found myself really distracted in this movie trying to figure out like what country we were in. And I was like, am I just really bad at geography as we established uh last week when i have no idea where nevada is um i'm like maybe didn't like coloring maps in high school and stuff um 
But then afterwards, when I looked it up, I realized that they, they intentionally left the location vague and like it wasn't named, um, but that it was, it's largely been understood to be representative of Lebanon. Mm-hmm. But that's never actually said in the film. Now, Denis Villeneuve is not Lebanese. Mm-hmm. He's Quebec French. Yeah. And on top of that, the three main actors who play these Lebanese characters are also not Lebanese. No, I mean, is there something that like can be said about the fact that like they're not actually setting it in Lebanon, perhaps, but it just brought up this question that kind of has been on our minds, you know, for the last few it's it's been lingering for a while in some of the films and TV shows that we've been watching about just what stories get told, in what way, by whom, both in the um directing, writing, crew and cast. Yeah. I was feeling the same way kind of through the whole thing and it was always just kind of at the back of my mind the whole time. I'm just like, is this Denis Villeneuve's story to tell? And, you know, where in the grander scheme of things, because again, this was made in 2010. I think that's a question that's more at the top of, at the top of mind in the discourse right now than it was in 2010. Yeah. Like should white folks be telling non-white stories and how do we kind of navigate that as viewers and and it's you know looking it up afterwards and kind of learning more about it it's based on a play by a lebanese quebecois playwright the wajdi mawad right Mm -hmm. and you know the story wikipedia tells me is that he you know approved of the film and was very impressed with the final product so it's just it's a question that i don't think i have the answer to and maybe i don't i don't have the right to to give the answer but it's a question on my mind yeah exactly i don't presume to you know just kind of like plant my flag in any in any sort of camp but i it's just something that's on the back of my mind the whole time we're watching a, a film like this and it's not time it's not the first time that this kind of comes no. up this week with things that we watch either and the other the other big film we watched in not recently but not long ago either was Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale and Jennifer Kent made The Babadook. The Nightingale is an entirely different movie and it is very upsetting. So upsetting. Like if you are going to watch The Nightingale, maybe look some stuff up first. But that was one where, again, I was like, whose stories are getting told and and who is telling them just kind of became something that made me feel a little uncomfortable. Um, At the same time, I really liked that movie and I really liked this movie. So it's it's a little bit of a a dissonance that's sitting with me that kind of was on our minds while we were watching it and afterwards. Now, aside from that, this was a really upsetting movie. Yeah, I have written in my notes, so heavy, so much all at once. Yeah, it's it's a heaviness. So I actually really love movies that make me feel icky <laughs> yeah. and make me feel upset and uncomfortable. I, re- I really like movies like that. And one of the... Um, key filmmakers that comes to mind for me for that is Yorgos Lanthimos like his particularly dog tooth like yeah. I mean killing of a sacred deer is no oh, yeah yeah those yeah those two probably like I think the lobster and the favorite are a little bit they still have that but they're maybe a little bit more accessible yeah dog tooth and killing of a sacred deer are and I really liked both of those movies this is uncomfortable and upsetting in a different way in a very real yeah. way it's that reality of it it's not a oh i'm going to this i'm putting this film on with the intent of feeling the discomfort it's just like 
this heaviness that sits in your gut while you watch it for for incendies yeah it's this very it's this very human oh man like we can be very flawed creatures and we can do a lot of things to each other yeah so this is a really violent movie a really traumatic movie that like particularly the gun violence in it which gun violence in particular often i find really difficult to watch um especially when it's depicted in like a, a hyper it's not stylized right it's not like a matrix yeah or you know like i think stylized violence i think tarantino right where it's like yeah or, or certain horror films where it's the blood and guts are fun and the blood is this vibrant red and you know like like the new suspiria you know like yeah that kind of thing as opposed to yeah there's no denying that if someone was shot in front of you that's what it would be like and it's not fun yeah that, right yeah that's it so the difference between style this stylized vi- violence and hyper real violence and this film is hyper real violence in my eyes and it's it's gun violence it's torture it's sexual violence like it is a it's an across the board hyperly traumatic hyperly that's not a word but like a hyper real trauma at least as i saw it yeah just kind of the worst of the worst of humanity on display here so you've kind of hinted at it through everything we've talked about here but at the end of it all how to make you feel uh just profoundly upset (laughs) yeah (laughs) profoundly upset as we're you know the credits are rolling i just kind of was in a little bit of disbelief now what i'll say is I rarely feel that impacted in this particular way by a film. And so I was like astounded to have that feeling because when you do it, particularly, particularly in like a what's in the box type film, it's a, it's a feeling that's so rare, but it was profoundly upsetting. Yes. Now I also have a silly thing to say about it. <laughs> All right. A really yeah. silly thing, um, which is I know a little bit of French, like a little bit. So this film is um, most a little bit of English, but mostly in French and Arabic. And we, we, if we can help it, don't watch dubbed films. We watch them with their original audio and then subtitled. It is distracting when you know a little bit of the language and the way there were moments where I would interpret the French differently than what the subtitle has. Mm, yeah. Like I know very little French. More than you, certainly. Yeah, see, I've chosen not to learn a second language because I don't want to have that feeling. Oh, so right. it, it's all strategy for watching movies. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know, I know very, very little French, but I'm like, this must be so distracting for a person who, say, knows Korean and is watching Squid Game. Yeah. You know, like it must be. I wonder in those cases, do you just turn the subtitles off and and watch it? But but I'm not near fluent enough to watch a French film without subtit- English subtitles. Um, so that was distracting at times um, where I'm like, oh. Yeah, I would have. I feel like they've said something different than the way that this has been subtitled. But all right, we'll go with it. Which then makes me feel like, can I trust subtitles at all? Yeah. (laughs) Is it all a lie? But yeah, I did really like this movie. I just found it very upsetting. Yeah, totally fair. Our next one is pretty different. Why don't you give us the background on the on your f- first mystery movie pick of the week? So I had um, looked up a bunch of the movies that are, are kind of on my immediate radar on Letterboxd and seen which ones um, weren't available on any of the streaming sites we had and then put them on my shelves, they're called, on, on the library app, our local library app, and then picked a handful of them to go and put on hold this week and go and pick up. So this was one that 
I was really excited to watch Under the Silver Lake, 2018 film directed and written by David Robert Mitchell, who made It Follows, um, one of our favorite horror films. Love, love, love It Follows. It stars one of my boyfriends, Andrew Garfield. Kind of your main boyfriend right now. Yeah. I'm fond of him at the moment. I mean, who isn't right now? But I think he's the world's boyfriend at this moment. Yeah, I want him to be my boyfriend. <laughs> so he's he's the star. And it also has Riley Keough in it, although I think that she's radically underused. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly Andrew Garfield. So the synopsis for it is that Sam, a disenchanted young man, finds a mysterious woman swimming in his apartment's pool one night. The next morning, she disappears. Sam sets off across L.A. to find her, and along the way, he uncovers a conspiracy far more bizarre. Yep. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So I picked this movie. You'd heard of this movie. Um, I've been wanting to see it for a while. Yeah. I mean, we we love and have watched It Follows multiple times, including recently. Mm -hmm. But what did you think of Under the Silver Lake? It was the night that we watched it. It was a very dramatic tonal shift because I went and finally took my mom to see the Batman which is oh right this was a double movie night for you not for for me yeah for me so I took my mom to see the Batman riding the high from that and then coming into this very big tonal shift also two really long movies because the Batman's three hours and this is two hours and 20 minutes I was strapped in ready for both of them (laughs) (laughs) well there you go um like I said, yeah, love it follows. So I had pretty high expectations going into this. And like you said, I've been wanting to see this. This has been on a, on the watch list for a long time. Um, few thoughts on this one is that it felt very like they were trying to create a balance between something that felt very Twin Peaksy, Mulholland Drive, and kind of fusing that with like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like kind of bringing in a little bit of that cheeky, sarcastic kind of humor a little bit, t- tongue in cheek kind of stuff. But the thing is, there's movies that are made in L.A. that talk about, you know, just like L.A. is like a bit of a character and like Hollywood's a bit of a character. I don't give a shit about any of that. <laughs> I'm yeah, just like we're, like we're not from LA like we like we're not in the culture so like maybe that it just it goes over our heads but like movies like that movies like this movies even like Mulholland Drive um, and even like another movie that we watched a couple movies we watched later this week I just like I I feel like I'm not in that demographic so I'm just I don't give a shit I don't care about kissing Hollywood's ass <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're being a little mean <laughs> Because some people love this movie, and I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think that they're kissing Hollywood's ass because they <laughs> like this movie. Um, That's just like it's it's not like that through the whole movie, but like there's a lot of moments like that. It's just like a lot of like, oh yeah, LA. Okay, I'm gonna challenge you on this Please because do. I think we gladly accept that in horror movies. Do like you? we, oh yeah, I think that you and I will lose it. For horror movie homage homages, yeah, like oh X is so. Look at what it's how it's speaking to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I mean, is it fair to just be so so like intensely deride the people who who enjoy watching all Hollywood homages just because we don't? Oh no, like people can love them. <laughs> I'm just not one of those people. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm not either. But I just want to be mindful that. Hey, um, if this is your jam, that's great. I love you for it. 
this is this is not my this isn't my when it gets to those moments and i'm not saying it totally like blows a movie for me but like i'm just like well no because we like maholland drive yes and there's ones later in this week that we we liked as well yeah yeah yeah. um i'm just i'm just saying when it gets to those moments i I mean i would agree with you i something that's become abundantly clear to me like over the last couple of years is that Hollywood nostalgia movies rarely work for me. Mm-hmm. I really don't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, yeah. I really don't like it. Um, I hated licorice pizza. Yeah. And if you divorce the thing that I don't like about licorice pizza, like on a moral level, <laughs> yeah. if you just take that out of it, I still didn't like licorice pizza. I was just like, yeah, I, I, so there's something about Hollywood nostalgia that just doesn't speak to me, but I totally get why it does speak to some people and why yeah. those are like they love they love a movie like maybe not this particular movie but you know Mulholland Drive while I like it is not my favorite David Lynch film and that's probably one of the reasons like and and what a great thing that there are different movies that speak to different people yeah and like I think the reason I am such a stick in the mud especially with movies like the ones you mentioned Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Licorice Pizza is just because like those are just like they feel so um, pandery to the. They're just award baity because, like, the Oscars loves to give best picture to like slam dunk. Like, ooh, these like they're showing how much Hollywood rocks, and like it's just like this little nod to like old classic <laughs> You're being Hollywood. Such a gross. I know, but like <laughs> this is this is just how I feel, and I and I think it's it's probably unfair and probably unfounded <laughs> to just like have that hate on for like kind of blanket across all of these like look at how much Hollywood rocks movies. I feel like you have like a bit of a stink on when you go into these movies too. So may- maybe one day, maybe one day a Hollywood movie is just going to like rock our socks and we'll be like, it'll open our eyes to what it is. But we watched three of them this week, not really planned and none of them did it for us. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, they, they just, they're not our jam, I guess. Aside from that, um, <laughs> something that made me feel really uncomfortable in this film and comfortable in a different way than Incendies did is the gaze that it's using like the gaze that um is established kind of really from the opening scene with andrew garfield's character sam and i'm like it's so fundamentally different from the gaze that's in it follows which i found really refreshing that i'm just like david robert mitchell he he has to be doing something on purpose here right Mm -hmm. but what is it yeah like it just you know, and I read a couple of, this is a very divisive movie, like, which isn't the first one this week that we watched where my, the people I follow on Letterboxd, even people I tend to like the same movies is are really split on it. Like some people gave this movie a five, some people gave it a one. And I'm a little bit more in the middle where I'm like, I, I see what's appealing about it. Some things really worked for me, but just as a whole, it didn't cohesively work to me. And there's something, I do watch movies from such an emotional feeling place that there's just something that didn't land with me in, in that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. And yes, I've read some reviews that are like, well, I mean, David Robert Mitchell is doing this to to subvert the gaze. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe true. But I didn't feel that. Yeah. And it, did I. Yeah. And it, yeah, I'm not sure with this one. Yeah, it didn't hit me on any emotional levels really significantly other than the Hollywood stuff. <laughs> yeah, anger at I mean, the Hollywood apparently. stuff. Um, but I will say though that this had some really great sequences peppered throughout. Yeah, that yeah. gave me like some broad strokes of like it follows vibe, and I was like, nice. 
Yes, well, more of this. And those please. moments when they happened kind of gave me hope that maybe the movie would come together by the end in a way that I was like, I can tell this isn't going to be my favorite movie ever. So I'm not going to be with those people who gave it five out of five. But maybe it'll come together in the end in a way that makes me like it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for me. Yeah, same. But there was a particular image used a couple times throughout that was like genuinely one of the most haunting things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I really liked it. Yeah, um, that's what I'm talking about. So like, I'm not like writing David Robert Mitchell off altogether, but no, he's not a two for two for me, unfortunately. Hey, that's all right. This was obviously the one he wanted to make. Some people love it. Some people really, 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 really love it. Those people just weren't us. Yep, correct. So all of that being said, how did this movie make you feel? I feel like in the Venn diagram of people that are too cool for LA and people that are not cool enough for LA, I must be somewhere in the middle or I'm either nowhere at all. <laughs> too cool for LA. <laughs> um, my, my, my favorite takeaway from this was when we were unpacking it at the end of it and I put it in my letterbox review was you said to me, this is somebody's favorite movie. <laughs> and I think that that is super accurate and sums up how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this. maybe somebody listening, it'll be your favorite movie too. And then you can tell us why because didn't gel with us. And yeah. it's not one that I feel the need to revisit and see if it gels with me at a later date. Sometimes I watch a movie like with Worst Person in the World where I'm like, this didn't totally land for me, but I think at a later date it might. I don't know that this one ever will. Yeah. Once was enough. Yep, I agree. 100%. <laughs> take us to our next our next trip to Hollywood. <laughs> so, yeah, this next one, much like what we're doing with um, Denis Villeneuve, we haven't seen all of David Lynch's movies. No. Nope. Though we reference David Lynch and his works quite often here. Um, I wanted to give his, this was his last major motion picture that he's done. We watched Inland Empire, which was from 2006. It was directed and written by David Lynch. It stars Laura Dern, who is the best, mm-hmm. as well as Justin Thoreau, Jeremy Irons, and Harry Dean Stanton. The synopsis for this, if you can give it a synopsis. <laughs> as an actress begins to adopt the persona of her character in a film, her world becomes nightmarish and surreal. I was reading in the trivia that they, after this movie came out, the people that were marketing it, they didn't know how to market it. <laughs> Fair. So David Lynch was just like, it's about a woman in trouble. So that was the tagline that they threw on the posters. A woman in trouble. A woman in trouble. She is a woman in trouble. Hey, it's not a lie. <laughs> um, yeah, the reason I picked it was, again, we're wanting to kind of work our way through all of David Lynch's works. And another one that's been on the watch list for a really long time. And I figured, you know, both of us have been off for spring break this week. So what a great time to watch a three-hour mind trip. <laughs> so... What did you think of this one? This was a, a ride. Mm-hmm. One thing that came up for me, so one of my favorite, favorite movies of all time is Richard Linklater's Waking Life, which I've shown to you, I believe. Long time ago, yeah. Um, really love that movie. That movie, Waking Life, for people who haven't seen it, is it's, it's just basically, it's a rotoscoped movie, right? Yep. Um, and it's, it's just like a dream, it's just a dreamscape. And it feels like a dreamscape. This felt the same way, but a nightmarescape. Yeah, yep. So it felt like, it really felt like when you're stuck in a nightmare and, and, it, and it feels real and the dream logic has taken over. 
but it's not a fun dream logic or even a sur- I mean it is surreal but not a um not just an uncomfortable like a nightmarish dream logic yeah and like David Lynch is the king of that like he's been very vocal about dreams and the influence of dreams dreams are in everything that he does but this felt like that at a 10 yes like you know you take that scene so David Lynch has this ability for the people that it works on and it works on me like speaking about how under the silver like didn't work for us the David Lynch stuff does work for me and I know that it doesn't work for everybody yeah he has this ability to take a moment or an image that on the surface has nothing frightening about it but something about the way that he has done it just burrows into your psyche in a way that is completely unnerving. Like the the scene in Mulholland Drive that's like that. Like if you were to just describe the scene, there's nothing scary about it. There's nothing upsetting about it. But there's something about that scene that is just so like almost fundamentally like subconsciously terrifying. Oh, yeah. It's one and, of the scariest things I've ever seen. And the scene in Twin Peaks, the first time we meet um our what's the what's the name for a like a word that's the same forwards and backwards oh my palindrome god. oh my god uh, my brain is breaking i think that that's right let me let me look it up yep that's it palindrome okay so that scene in twin peaks where we meet our palindrome named character you know the scene i'm talking about yeah horrifying oh yeah but, I rem- but I rem- there's nothing horrifying about it but it's horrifying i remember you you watched a little bit of twin peaks when um, I was in early university. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah, I wasn't home, but you're like, you got to watch this one part. And you <laughs> just showed me this. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is terrifying. Yeah, it's, and and that's, there, so some of um, David Lynch's stuff, I feel mix the, mixes the dreamscape with the nightmare. This felt like pure nightmare to me. Oh, yeah. And three hours of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's shot on digital cameras. Yeah. So it's like. It's not glossy. No, like it it made the film look cheaply made, but it also just added to the dysphoria of everything that was going on. Yeah, it just felt so, so, like you can't even describe it. I have in my notes, melt in my brain unlike any other Lynch thing I've seen. And yeah, would you agree that it's not your favorite Lynch thing you've seen? I would. I would agree. Okay, I was like, <laughs> it is your favorite? You would agree. It's not your favorite Lynch thing you've seen. Yeah. But what an experience. Like, if yes. you like David Lynch, you, I feel like you have to give this a try. Yeah. I would I would caution against this being the first David Lynch thing you ever try. That feels like jumping into the deep end without knowing how to swim. Yeah. Hey, if you want to do that, you might drown. I so can't I can't swim. You can't swim. I would. I would drown. You would <laughs> you would drown. Um, yeah. And the, and and okay, just so to speak to the nightmarishness of it all, there is a scene getting close to the end of the movie. That, like, I think I turn to you, and I, I have a distinct thing where I don't really like. <laughs> I'm such a grouchy person to watch movies with. I don't know why you do it. I don't know why you watch <laughs> movies with me. Um, I don't like it when people look at me during movies. <laughs> and I don't like to look at other people during movies. Like, um, but sometimes I do. This was so upsetting, this scene, that I, like, just turned to you with my mouth open. Like, what? What is happening here? And again, there's nothing. I don't even know how to hang my hat on what happens, but it's just the imagery of it. The sound, like David Lynch uses the soundscape to, mm. and the, yeah, just, I don't, I don't know what David Lynch is doing. I'm sure somebody does and has spoken thoughtfully on it. But that scene 
terrified me. That's the kind of thing that I feel like if I saw it when I was younger, I would have had nightmares about forever. I'm now just like a grouchy, tired adult who like doesn't have nightmares except for about like being late for work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was horrifying. Yeah. I I also wrote that down and I just wrote, no. <laughs> <laughs> Can and- I? And it, like it, the choosing of when to slot that scene <sighs> into the movie is at a point where you've kind of letting your guard down is not really the right term for it, but it's kind of it hits you at a point where you're kind of you know you feel like things might be kind of ramping up or or wrapping up rather, and yeah, it, it, and and it just kind of, that makes it even scarier. Yeah, did not like, but also deeply loved that moment. Yeah, it, it stems back to the stuff that we've talked about, about when we're younger. We like, you know, there was stuff that scared us and it was creepy and it upset us, but we liked that it did that. That was kind of similar. I here. mean, the one that you talk about a lot is the um, the Grinch smiling. Yeah, in... I, I don't like I don't like big grinny smiles like that, that freaked me. Like an example for me was Mark Hamill's Joker mm-hmm. in the Batman animated series scared me as a kid, but but you liked I still it. Still loved it. But it's those particular kinds of images, and there's one of these in, in Parasite too, where like on the surface, ooh, I, I, yeah, I forgot about it. And, oh. <laughs> on the surface, there's nothing frightening about it, but there's something about it that is so like fundamentally at its core frightening, and and it happens in such a way that you don't think to avert your eyes, or you know. And this movie is just full of that. So it was an interesting counterpoint to Under the Silver Lake because they're both these kind of bizarro films set in Hollywood and, and about Hollywood. Um, I mean, insofar as this movie has any kind of a plot, which it doesn't really, it's about Laura Dern's character being an actress and then, like, all of that getting, like, kind of wonky. But there's not really a plot. No. I mean, maybe there is somewhere. Well, there wasn't for me. Under the Silver Lake has a plot. Yeah. Yeah, this this was a trip. I have a really funny thing I learned in my post-movie research. Can I share it with you? Please do. Okay, so um, during a conversation... This is from IMDb Trivia. I'm just going to read it. Mm-hmm. So I'm plagiarizing IMDb Trivia. Uh, during a conversation between David Lynch and Laura Dern, Dern mentioned that her husband was from the Inland Empire, an area east of Los Angeles County. Lynch confesses he stopped listening to what she was saying because he loved the sound of the words Inland Empire and finally decided on these words as the title of his movie because, quote, I like the word Inland and I like the word Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like David Lynch. (laughs) Also, do you know that he he was like somewhere in Hollywood with a cow and a sign that said, for your consideration, Laura Dern? Yeah. And he was like trying to get her nominated for the oscar or something some oh, some award David yeah. lynch just just great so also in my post film research i read some stuff that i'm like interested to dig into more fully and maybe there's some like papers written on it where people have um analyzed this film or interpreted this film as being a film representation of the way that you hyperlink on the internet oh okay so when I when I read this at first, I, I kind of had the same thought as you, like, oh, okay. But then it started to make sense to me this as I read more, particularly from Wikipedia and Reddit, of this idea that, like, at any moment, we kind of just, like, jump to another thing in a similar way that you might start on a Wikipedia page, see a link, click to it, it takes you somewhere else, see a link, click to it, it takes you somewhere else, and you've now traveled so far from that original page you were on just through this, like, digital hyperlinking and that this film kind of... Um, personifies that i see that yeah in ways that are both 
sometimes really mundane. Like there's moments where we all of a sudden go into something that's like honestly quite boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden we're in this like totally nightmarish what is happening hellscape. So I thought that was interesting and I'm I'm looking forward to reading more about that. Would never have figured that out on my own, I don't think. David Lynch, of course, doesn't really often speak to what his films are about in his own mind. So who knows if that's what he was going for. Other thing that I feel like is worth talking about is like race in David Lynch. Okay. Yeah. Um, something that made me a little uncomfortable is it's a very it's a very white film. And then there's people of color in two distinct spots near the end in ways that I don't think are particularly thoughtful. It's not great. Um so yeah. Not yeah, not great. Not great. Yeah. Something to be aware of. I mean it's at the end of the day, this is like Laura Dern's movie. And she's great. She crushes this. Yeah. I, I mean, I love her. Yeah, I love watching her and stuff. For sure. My one of my favorite things is that two people that have worked with David Lynch a lot are Kyle McLaughlin and Laura Dern. And he calls Kyle McLaughlin Kale. And he calls Laura Dern tidbit. <laughs> so, and like on set. Yeah. Like if you look up some behind the scenes footage of Twin Peaks or Blue Velvet, anything like that, you'll just hear him <laughs> yelling tidbit. <laughs> Kale. Well, do, did you read in, in any of your uh, post research that this movie started with David Lynch calling Laura Dern up and saying, do you want to experiment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I. There's something about his... Um, his relationship with Laura Dern and uh, and some of his other key actors that doesn't feel as muse auteur as as other directors like it feels and I don't know if it's true but it just I get it feels more collaborative and kind of fun yeah uh, anyway so you know that's my those are my jumbled thoughts on a movie that I think evokes that kind of thinking how to make you feel it made me feel disoriented oh yeah. Like, I feel like I lost a sense of reality and time as we were watching it. Like, it would, at one point, we paused the movie, probably because you wanted to go get, like, something to drink or something. Chips and dip. No chips and dip. <laughs> oh, actually, I think you did get Doritos. <laughs> Man, <laughs> this is just an account of all the fucking junk that I eat. <laughs> um, But you paused it, and we were only an hour in, and I thought we were so much further in. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we're only a third of the way through this thing? And yeah, like the the sense of time, like I both felt like very aware of still being in this movie while I also had no idea how much time had passed and just in general feeling like disoriented, which I think was the goal. Like I think that's what David, I don't think David Lynch would expect this to be anybody's favorite movie. Yeah. Um, And it's not my favorite movie, but I am glad I experienced it. And like, I don't know that I would watch it again, but I would watch parts of it again. Yeah. I think I echo exactly what you said and the way that you put it in just how it kind of makes you feel like you've dropped into this nightmare because we paused it a couple times and we're both taken aback that, oh, we're only this far into it. It just felt like a nightmare that wouldn't end. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And it wasn't like for lack of not wanting to keep watching the movie. It was just like, whoa, I feel like I've been in this longer. Okay. Guess we still got two thirds to go. Um, But if you like David Lynch... I think it's worth giving this a go. If you have never seen David Lynch, like I said, I think that this is this is like jumping into the deep end before you've learned how to swim. So maybe start with some Eraserhead or some Twin Peaks or Mulholland Drive. I mean, we we have not seen nearly all of his catalog, but we own them all or have borrowed them from people and not given them back. Yeah. Shh. Shh. 
Okay, let's talk about the next movie. Yeah, let's do it. Um, another one that I had on my list of things that are not any streaming sites, so I took out from the library. I was so excited for this. I felt like we needed a break from the two-hour-plus movies. Yeah. And from the, like, heavy movies. So I went into this with the intention of picking something. I think I told you before I put it on, like, this is dark and it's fun. Although I hadn't seen it before, so sometimes I think that and then it doesn't deliver, but I think it delivered. So I picked the 2017 movie Thoroughbreds, directed and written by Corey Finley and starring Olivia Cook, Anya Taylor-Joy, Anton Yelchin. Got it. And Paul Sparks. The synopsis is that two upper-class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut rekindle their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. Together, they hatch a plan to solve both of their problems. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think you had heard of this movie before, mm-hmm. and it had been on our radar back in 2017, and we had wanted to see it, and just it fell off our radar. Um, what did you think of this movie? I was so excited to watch this because I think... You nailed it in that I was also thinking it'd be great to get out of this sort of heavy, mind-trippy zone that we were in for the first part of the week. So throwing this on, I was excited right away. And I thought this movie was compelling from the outset. Mm-hmm. I was it, it gripped me right away, and I was, I was just hooked. And I did not remember who was in this. Olivia Cook, who I loved in um even though she wasn't in it for very long i loved in uh, sound of metal mm-hmm. which came out i love that movie and then anya taylor joy was just a nice surprise because i mean she's Thomas and herself <laughs> what <laughs> from the witch that's her name <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> right <laughs> sorry no that's okay i but... just think it's an interesting name <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is it is but she's everywhere now we haven't seen Queen's Gambit, but no. and she's in Last Night in Soho as well, which we also oh, haven't she? seen. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, so she's she's all over the place. So I, I was stoked to see her here, and then also I did not expect to see Ant- Anton Yelchin, which I think that this was. I didn't do the follow up yeah, research. No, I did. This, this was, was his last, last movie. movie. Yeah. Oh man, big so, sad faces on that. Yeah, but yeah, I it felt. I, the whole time I was going on, I'm like, this feels really, to use this word again, it feels very intimate. And all of these scenes, like, they they kind of play out in a very intimate and compelling way. And you told me after the fact that this was actually written as a play first. Mm-hmm. It was written for the stage, yeah. And as soon as you said that, I'm like, you feel that through this whole thing. Yeah. And I love stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I love something that feels... Like it is meant to be contained to a stage. Mm -hmm. And then when it's translated on a film where you can kind of blow it up a little bit in terms of just setting, I was, I was all in for that. So I I thought, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. It maintains that because it has that like stage play base, the focus is really on like the dialogue and the interactions between the two leads in a way that is so compelling and I can imagine that this would have been an incredibly compelling stage play. It, it was never made for the stage. It was written for the stage, but then ended up becoming a film. And I loved that about it. Like in the end, I had wanted to pick something that I thought was going to be dark and fun. And I think it was dark and fun. Yeah. Like, and it was like, genuinely hilarious. Oh, yeah. Like I laughed so much in this. Yeah, same. It was so good. But also like really <laughs> dark at times. Like it's not just, a, it's not a comedy. Um it's a dark comedy, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, but everybody is great in it. Um, the way sound is used, there's a particular sound 
that they kind of um, explain how the sound is supposed to make you feel earlier in the film. And then it, it does more and more and more and more. It's used so clever. And again, I could see how that would work really well on stage stage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you commented as we were watching that you were really enjoying the score. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought the music it's was like funny. a little funky and dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is one scene in it where after it concluded, it's it's quite long. It's a big one take, which I think would have played just as well if it was a stage play. Mm-hmm. But after it concluded, I, I remember turning to you and just being like, that was awesome. That was <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah. If you see it, you'll know when it's happening because it, it it brings in all everything that you're talking about um, in terms of sound and just how the, the characters play off each other. That is my one takeaway from this movie that I don't think I'll forget. It's one of, probably one of my favorite scenes I've I've ever seen. Oh, wow. I loved it. Yeah, I really like this movie a lot. Like, I, I would watch it again if I'm looking for something. Like, it didn't hit me deeply or resonate with me deeply on any level other than just, like, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, especially after the week of movies we <laughs> yeah, were having. Yeah, I was having. just like, I, I need to get us out of this, like... I mean, Under the Silver Lake was disappointing. Yeah. Because I thought I was going to like it so much. Incendies was so heavy. And then Inland Empire was just like what do I even feel about this <laughs> David Lynch why do you do this to me um and I wanted to kind of like shake us out of that so with that being said how did this movie make you feel it made me feel so engaged in everything that was taking place like I said it kind of grabbed me from the outset and because it wouldn't really let me go until the the very mm-hmm. end it just it just made the whole the whole ride enjoyable and you've said you've said it here like it was it was fun mm-hmm. uh, I, and a, a welcome little rush of fun to have <laughs> to break up the week a little bit so yeah I, I it was great i i think this was a very good choice thank you thank you speaking of good choices oh man okay so this movie this next mystery movie pick i put it on my watch list a long time ago and it's this is another one. This is kind of the week of movies that have been on my watch list for a long time. And then I get reminded of them and I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, let's watch this. So I chose the movie The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It came out in 2019. It was directed by Joe Talbot, who I had to look up when I saw that name because that's the same exact same name as the lead singer of one of my favorite bands, Idols. Not the same person, though? Not not at all. But <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm just like, well, what? Can you imagine? Really? I'd be like, that'd be sick. Um, and it was written, the story was written by Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fails. And was they collaborated um, with another writer, Rob Richard. Um, it stars Jimmy Fails, Jonathan Majors, who I, I really like Jonathan Majors a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Glover and Jamal Trulove. The synopsis for this one is a young man, uh, a young man searches for, for a home um, <laughs> I have it. Would you like me to help you out? Yes, please. A young man searches for home in the changing city that seems to have left him behind. Yeah, that's that's what I had. I missed a few words, <laughs> but that's okay. I got you. But I, thank you so much. But I remember. I, I mean, I read that synopsis and I'm like, oh man, they they really hit you right in the feels. Yeah, with that. <laughs> the synopsis makes me want to cry. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Um. So, like I said, this fell off my radar, and how it came back onto my radar is that. One of our favorite movies, and we've mentioned it here before, but one of our favorite movies of 2021 was 
Come On, Come On, directed by Mike Mills, who's one of my favorite directors and makes some of my favorite movies. I just went on Letterboxd. And this is what's what's great about the list is that I just typed in movies like Come On, Come On. And <laughs> on this list, there's like maybe six movies, six or eight movies. And this was on there. And I'm like, okay, yep, that's that's the feelings I want to feel. So here we go. Um, this is another A24 film. You know us where A24 stands. And because it's on the, it was on that list, I, I just wanted to feel all those feelings, those after Yang feelings that we talked about um, a couple episodes ago. But what did you think of Last Black Man in San Francisco? I like loved it so much. <laughs> I love, 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 loved it. Like it's one of those experiences where like it finishes and I'm like, wow, I just watched one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, what a profound and amazing thing to experience something and be like, that is one of my favorite things I've ever experienced. Yeah. And, like, we watch a lot of movies. But these are the kind of movies we love. Like, yeah. Th- like, this this is where I think there's just, like, this beautiful overlap for the both of us mm-hmm. where we just love movies that make us feel all the feelings. Yeah, it's like so I'm trying to figure out how to explain what it is about a movie like this or a movie like After Yang that speaks to you and me so deeply that doesn't to everyone because this was another one like Under the Silver Lake but for very different reasons that was very divisive in the people that I follow on Letterboxd where like some people gave it fives or not or like fives or four and a halfs out of five and other people were giving it three like nobody was giving it like a one or a two but like threes or three and a halfs. And people that like I, I tend to really like the same movies as them and I'm I, I want to understand why this hits me so differently than it hits them. And I think there's something about art, both music, books, like I actually I'm getting ahead of myself, but, you know, all the art that I consume that resonates deeply in my soul when it's more emotion based than plot based. Yeah, I agree. And I get that for some people and in a totally fair way, they want the plot. Mm-hmm. I actually can kind of get bored of a plot. Or just be like, huh. Oh. And that's not to say that some of my favorite things aren't plot-based, but like when I think some of the books that I really, really love, they tend to be creative nonfiction. Like one of my favorite books is called The Crying Book, and it's just a series of like vignettes about crying. Or I love the book um, In the Dream House by uh, Carmen Maria Machado, who like it's it's just a series of vignettes about a, an abusive relationship that she had with um, with somebody in her past. But it's not written as this like, eat pray love memoir that has a clear narrative arc like it's these series of stories that kind of hit you in different ways and have different emotions now i do think that this movie has a plot but i think that emotion and character and feeling is the bigger point than the plot yep and i think about you know what is kind of our current favorite tv show of all time the leftovers we're the first season of the leftovers so we we love the leftovers like that show I A, don't feel like enough people have seen it, and B, don't think I've seen it enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Justin Theroux, you know, one of the leads in The Leftovers and that show, I just can't, I can't say enough about that show. But the first season of The Leftovers is more plot-based because it's following Tom Perota's book, and Tom Perota, I believe, was involved in the writing and creating of the show. Yep. Um, And season, and I really like season one, but seasons two and three just completely blow open the abstraction and feeling and drop some of the plots that I wasn't totally sold on in season one and and that's where it became my favorite show 
Yeah, I remember watching season two week to week and every episode was just blowing us away. And we're like, it's the feeling you're talking about here, which is like, we're watching one of our favorite things that we're ever going to see right now. And we rewatched The Leftovers early in the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I it felt so. right. If, I mean, The Leftovers is fundamentally about how do people cope with something that they tangibly can't cope with? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you cope with something that you don't have answers for? Or you don't you don't know why um, it felt like the right time to do it. And like, holy moly, did it hit me in so many different ways as we, we rewatched it. This is the kind of art that I love so much. The kind that that the last black man in San Francisco, I already know I'm going to watch it so many more times in my life. Yeah. And I know, I know deep within me that every time I watch it, it's going to impact me differently. Mm-hmm. Like deeply within me, depending on where I am at in that current state in my life or where I'm at emotionally on that day, different parts of it are going to resonate with me differently. Mm-hmm. Like what what happens with The Leftovers or with, you know, I, eventually we'll rewatch Six Feet Under. And I've heard from people who have rewatched that show many times that like at different stages in their life, they kind of identify or, or feel more connected to different character stories i want that i want to revisit the things i love and have them spark something different in me i love the original texas chainsaw massacre but i know what i'm gonna feel every time i watch it yeah and there's a place for that too and a place that i love for that there's something about a movie like this like to me the last black man in san francisco is it's about home it's about place it's about connection like who we who we're connected to it's about the stories we tell or the stories we have to tell or the stories we 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 can't let go of um it's about family it's about who you choose to build a life with and then it's also about like like bigger picture things like gentrification and race and violence and like i just feel like at any particular moment like this time when we watched it the idea of home was really speaking to me and like how do you let go of home or how do you accept what home is because we're going through the process of not being in the home that we thought would be our home forever you know, we thought that this would be the place that we would settle our lives in. And, and that hasn't been the reality, which is like at times has been incredibly exciting to move on to like the next chapter. But lately, I feel like we've both been feeling pretty sad about it. And this film like really hit me in that way. And I don't know that the next time I watch it, maybe it'll be something else that hits me. Yeah, I think that evidence of what you're talking about is that while that hit you in that way, this had a bit of an after yang effect on me where it hit a certain point in the movie near the end where I just started crying. Tears just started flowing and they didn't stop until the end of the movie. And it wasn't necessarily just one scene that start that sparked that. It was just like the feelings I was, I was feeling mm-hmm. kind of just kind of built up and hit a bit of an apex. And then it was just waterworks till the end. That didn't happen with you. But, but I think, but I think I said to you, cause you said, did you cry? And I said, I didn't. But I could see myself absolutely being destroyed and like just bawling nonstop at a different point in my life. Yeah. Like there are certain movies that I, I'll i put on because I, I want to cry. <laughs> yeah. I did this when uh, we were in Calgary in early February for you to get a new tattoo. And because I didn't really want to wander around like the COVID capital of Alberta, <laughs> I stayed in the hotel room and I was like, I feel like crying. <laughs> I feel like crying today. And so I I watched American Beauty, which I have a really complicated relationship with because it is one of the first movies that made me feel this way. Yeah. Uh and and then the Kevin Spacey yeah, of the, it all. The Schmevin Spacey of it all just kinda <laughs> has created a bit of a difficulty there. But 
sure enough, it worked. I cry. I cried the way I wanted to cry. And I could see myself like understanding that like this is the right movie for right now to feel an emotion I want to feel and putting this movie on. Yeah. I loved it. I like, and uh, I've said this to you. I've written it on Letterboxd. I'm just going to put it out into the world again. I think I'm in love with Jimmy Fails. Yeah. Like in love with him, I think. The combo of him and John- Jonathan Majors in this was so right. The chemistry between the two of them. Like if they're not friends in real life, like they are the best actors in the world because I loved watching the two of them on screen together. They're both total babes, but like aside from that, just the relationship between those two characters as depicted by these two actors was just like so beautiful. Yeah. In in my notes, I have the word beautiful and I have sub points <laughs> oh! about all of the beautiful things. So what are the beautiful things? The, the, the depiction of male relationships. Beautiful. Uh, I thought the humor was also handled beautifully. This this movie had some real good laughs. Yeah, but, but like warm laughs. Exactly. Different kind of laughs than what we got in Thoroughbreds. Yes. Uh, I thought the casting all around was mm-hmm. just like so good. And the cinematography and music. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm just saying <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, this film, I understand why some people don't love it as much as we have loved it, but I... This goes back to this thing we read, the, the, the piece about generosity that we that we read at the beginning. So I don't know how much you looked into this, but like this film is inspired partially by like Jimmy Fail's life story. Yeah. And he's taken that life story and then gone in a new direction with it. Like it's not it's not a biopic, right? Like it's it's a fictionalization of things that are probably deep truths in his own life that I, I imagine he was interrogating and kind of working through and like. I feel thankful that he put that out into the world. I feel that that was a generous act of his. And if I ever, he ever get the chance to share that with him, I would say thank you because I am so glad that this piece of art exists and that I got to see it at this particular moment in my life. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I I'm, loved it. I'm so grateful for this movie. I want the poster. I want the special edition. <laughs> yeah, you want to buy the A24 special edition souped up version. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I want it all. I just want to keep this movie going. Can um, I Can I tell you something silly? Yeah. <laughs> so I, we, as tangenty as we were last week, we haven't really been this week. Mm-hmm. We're keeping it On structured. Task. Yeah. But I'm going to tell a slight tangent. So one of the things that I also found really beautiful about this movie, other than Jimmy Fails aesthetically. Yeah. Is his skateboarding. So he's skateboarding Ooh, throughout. The, yeah. o- the opening scene, which is a skateboarding scene, is gorgeous. So good. But he, he, there's a lot of skateboarding throughout and it's like, it's not, what's a skateboarding movie that's not like this? Mid-90s. The one A24 movie <laughs> I've seen that I absolutely despise. We're not going to go there right now. Or grind. Yeah, like vocal grind. <laughs> callbacks, callbacks. <laughs> um, it's not like a like we're in the skate park doing our skateboarding. Look at the tricks. Like it's like skateboarding as a. I feel like it's symbolic. Like yeah. skateboarding as this fluidity, as this watching Jimmy fails the actor as Jimmy fails the character skateboarding in San Francisco Which, down these big hills and just like like carving these huge hit down these huge hills and like weaving he's not doing tricks no he's skateboarding as a mode of transportation yeah as like as like a way of moving forward it's gorgeous but what it made me think of is when the, the like the hot minute when we wanted to be good at skateboarding 
<laughs> so early in the pandemic, we decided we were going to like become skateboarders and we bought some pretty cool skateboards. Um, and you hurt yourself. That I hurt myself. <laughs> yeah, I was skateboarding was scarier than I thought it was going to be. But yeah. it seems so cool. Like skateboarders are cool. It's very cool. Yeah. We were skateboarding for a hot minute and then I sprained my ankle. <laughs> Hung up the skateboard. And I wasn't even skateboarding at the time. I was just like, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. Oh, and then you, you like did, you were like, you did sprain your ankle, but I definitely did sprain oh my, my ankle. God. Yeah. It was bad. I haven't picked up my skateboard since then. It's got this like really beautiful spot in our garage that it's going to be taken out of soon because we're moving. But uh, maybe, maybe this is the summer I learn how to skateboard. I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of goals and aspirations this summer. Now skateboarding is one of them. Hey, podcasting is really conducive to if you hurt yourself skateboarding because we just sit and sit and chat. So. That's true. I need to do it after we move because. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to tell that story about like how he, the skateboarding in this. I don't want to be a trick skateboarder. I want to be like a look how cool I am while I'm skateboarding. And he looked cool while he was skateboarding, Very and it made cool. me be like, ah, oh, I want to wear that. I want to wear a toque and some flannel and look cool skateboarding. <laughs> Do you know, I, I didn't look this up. Was it actually Jimmy Fails skateboarding? I don't know, but I'm going to say yes because I'm in love with him. Okay. Yep. Uh, I'm good with that. Okay. Um, How did this movie make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> like we haven't been talking about that this whole time. Okay. This is what I have written down. Yep. I said this movie made me feel so stirred, so sad, so seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly like sad because like we're currently rethinking our own concept of home we're thinking a lot about like how we build how the two of us together build a life together choose to build a life together every day continue to choose to build a life together to build a home together um and that's i think a fundamental question in this movie or who are the who are the people we choose to build our lives with and so i felt i felt both sad and seen and inspired and just emotionally stirred by those questions in the movie as they then emotionally resonated with me yeah i just i can't say enough how much i loved this movie like we it's a bit of a weird movie week in that like there's a few that we didn't really like and like generally we're not watching movies to be like movie reviewers mm-hmm. we're watching movies to talk about how we feel about them and i i generally like i am not gonna go see morbius <laughs> i'm not gonna see morbius i don't care I don't care if we become famous if we went and saw Morbius. I am um, I'm not interested in seeing it. Yeah. So generally we kind of try to avoid movies that we like don't think we're gonna like. Um and there was a couple ones here that were just disappointing because I thought I'd like them more than I did. And then there's ones that I liked, but they were just heavy or, or weird. What a joy to watch something that just I fundamentally loved so much. Um so if you too, like us, love movies that are really emotion based, this movie's really, really worth giving giving a a shot too because i i can't say enough good things about it i agree all i have written down for how did it make me feel it made me feel all the feelings yeah yeah um which is my favorite thing yeah to feel all the feelings i love feeling feelings (laughs) and then talking about them this was one of those movies too where as soon as the credits started rolling we didn't say a word to each other no we just sat in silence until it ended and then started to chat about this because we just needed to sit in those feelings for a little bit longer so good okay let's talk about the last movie that we watched only one we saw in the theater this week we didn't see anything in the theater last week 
So we went and saw Barton Fink, the 1991 Coen Brothers movie. So directed by Joel Coen, although on IMDb it says also by Ethan Coen uncredited. So somebody, I guess, knows that. And then written by Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen, starring John Turturro, John Goodman, Judy Davis, and a bunch of other people, I guess. Um, the synopsis for it is a renowned New York playwright is enticed to go to California to write for the movies and discovers the hellish truth of Hollywood. Yeah, another Hollywood movie. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Like, I was just like, oh, a Cohen Brothers movies yeah. movie we've never seen. Um, it's playing at our favorite movie theater. It's really cool to get a chance to see a movie like we always intended to see when it's playing there. Like when, when Metro plays a movie that like has been on my watch list forever, I'm like, yeah, why not? I really wanted to see Eraserhead for the first time at the Metro, but then like, I didn't know when movie theaters were going to reopen and I wanted to watch it. So yeah, we went and saw it, um, in the theater, 930 on a Saturday night. What'd you think of it? So yeah, like you said, I had no clue what this was about. I was stoked to see it. And it's it's kind of cool, too. I'll just share. So Metro Cinema, our favorite theater in our city, um, they, this was a part of a program they were doing called Film on Film. So mm -hmm. they were they're particularly showing movies that have a focus around making movies. Yeah. And this the was films. curated by a like local filmmaker um, named Kyle Armstrong, I believe. I think so. Yeah. Um, who isn't known to us specifically, but is known to some people we know. Yeah. Recently, Metro Cinema got a new uh, curator, and they've been crushing it. Yeah, they've been doing some really interesting, like, collections of film. Yeah, really exciting. But, yeah, I, again, while this is, like, another L.A. Hollywood making movies movie, <laughs> this was kind of showing the other side of it, of, like, how much it kind of sucks. Yeah, and how the just, hellish truth of Hollywood. Yeah, and just, like, how soul-crushing it can be for a creative person who chooses to go out to la and make some pictures <laughs> um we're kind of on a john Totoro journey right now unintentionally and it feels like we're on more of a one because we're watching a tv show yeah, severance so we see him every week yeah so and he's so good in severance so good um but he was also in the batman um and now he was in barton fink so i just feel like he's been in our lives a lot and he's just he's so baby-faced in this but he was great uh i i loved him I loved him throughout this whole movie. I thought I thought the role was really great. And then John Goodman, who you mentioned in last week's episode, I is love just John Goodman. Yeah, John uh, Goodman's not great. much of a dad in this one, but yeah. But um, those two together, like the chemistry is great. And this is not for, for all intents and purposes. This is a Coen Brothers movie. Mm -hmm. um, this is like not the first time they that we'll see them together in a Coen Brothers movie. And they're, yeah, they're they're excellent. Now, what I'll say about what I what I liked about this movie, there was Coen Brothers isms, like kind of signature uh, styles of their humor and and things like that, kind of peppered throughout. Yeah, some of those funny mo moments were like some of the funniest stuff ever. There is so one moment in this movie that like you and I could not stop laughing. It's a moment with John Goodman. <laughs> just like didn't see it coming and it was like one of the funniest things i've seen in my life so worth it like this whole movie's worth it just for that moment yeah and there's a great bit with steve buscemi as well it's, oh it's my so goodness good. that mo that moment is so, so funny, funny. Um, he's underused in this yes but you know all of those things kind of said this one didn't really blow my hair back yeah <laughs> this this was like i'm glad i saw it it was on my list like the uh yeah the i 
I this has always kind of had this has an iconic poster, mm-hmm. which I've been looking at in video stores and online since I was a kid with John Tatura on the cover and a mosquito. And like I always kind of associated again, like kind of similar with you kind of thinking incendies was one thing, but mm-hmm. it was actually another. I kind of had this here too. Like I, I kind of thought that this was going to be one thing based on the poster and then it ended up being yeah. a different thing. I didn't know it was set in the 1940s, but I'm um, not that interested in, but whatever. Yeah. And again, this is this kind of seemed to be a theme across a number of movies we watched, but there was one sequence near the end with John Goodman's character and two other people in a yeah. hallway that's yeah. so cool i thought it was yeah. so cool yeah the, the like there's the certain sequences in this movie that are phenomenal yeah and it's not a bad movie no I, and i can see why it's some people's favorite movie yeah totally but again not ours <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah i don't know if there's much more to be said about it yeah i'm glad i've seen it yeah me too won't see it again I have exactly that in my notes. Don't think I'll ever watch it again. Yeah, I have here. It's just like it's... So not that long ago, we had a six-movie week where three of the movies were set in New York, which were Cloverfield, Big, and Phone Booth. And I didn't feel like New Yorked out by the end of it. I felt Hollywooded out by the end of this week. I was like, uh, I I don't think we intentionally set out to watch three movies set in Hollywood that like are exploring... That aren't just set in Hollywood, but are exploring Hollywood itself. Um, And I was over it by the end of it. I was just like, yeah, I think this cements for me that LA is not the city for me. That I like New York better. Granted, we've been to New York. New York's the city I've been to the most in my life. Mm -hmm. Which is like not saying much. I've only been there three times. But (laughs) um, I guess I've probably been to Calgary more. Maybe Vancouver more. But like the the place I've traveled (laughs) to. uh, Scrap all of it. I've been to New York a few times. Wow, braggadocious. <laughs> yeah. Calgary uh, the most. <laughs> I've been to Calgary so many times. Oh, man. Uh, but I like, you know, I've never been to LA, I don't think. I went to Disneyland when I was three. I don't remember it. Um, That's Anaheim, I think. <laughs> just me being bad at geography. <laughs> don't make me feel badly about it. But I just, like, I don't think I want to live in L.A. I don't think I really want to think about L.A. I don't think that Hollywood movies are for me. I understand why there's certain people that it's for. And, I mean, there's a fundamental way that this film is about writer's block. Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe right now I'm not feeling creatively stuck. So maybe if I was, this would feel resonant. Um, and I could see why some people who, like, are in that world, this would be so so satirically great for them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I like same kind of thing because I work in a creative industry that it's not just me doing my own thing. I work in advertising, so I'm answering to a lot of different people, both, you know, other members of my team, higher up members of my team, and also a client who we're doing the work for ultimately. There's mm-hmm. a lot of voices coming to the table determining where the creative work goes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to make some severe compromises to what your grand creative vision might be. And you have to kill some darlings along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, this movie did a good job in showing how that how that can have an effect on a creative person. That's just mm-hmm. trying to give the best version of themselves on the page or whatever it is. And how it can potentially in some cases be soul crushing when you think you've done your best work. And someone's like, this isn't even close to good. Mm-hmm. Um so 
yeah. Yeah, there's, there are really things to like about in this movie. And I think that, like, what the Coen brothers set out to make, they made, and they made it really well. And I can see why some people, like, slam dunk love this movie. Um, but it wasn't my favorite Coen brothers movie. Nor mine. Okay, we talked about it a lot already. I feel like I know what you're going to say. But how did Barton Fink make you feel? Glad I've seen it. Don't think I'll ever watch it again. Done. Stamp a sticker on it. It's that time. It's that time. All right. It's time to name the bad dad and the rad dad of the week. Hit me with your bad dad. I, th- I feel like we got the yeah, same one. Yeah, I think so too. I didn't I didn't struggle with this one at all. Mm-hmm. So bad dad of the week for me, Paul Sparks, character of Mark from Thoroughbreds. Yep. Yeah. It. It's just like It's just like literal. It's very literal. He's... I have written here, I mean, he's just a bad stepdad. Yep. <laughs> um, he's manipulative. He's abusive emotionally. And like, I think it's implied physically and just like generally sucks as a crappy person. Like he's a bad dad. He is the epitome of a bad dad. Not just bad dad energy, like straight up bad dad. Yep. So that was easy. Paul Sparks, Mark from Thoroughbreds, you're meant to be a bad dad. You play it well. It was written well. You're a bad dad. Stick, Stick it. Stick it. All right. Rad dad, I'm I'm very curious. Okay. Who you picked? Okay. I was between two. Okay. And I feel like I chose the right one. Oh, <laughs> big words! I feel like I chose the right one. So, do you you want to start, or you're so curious? Do you want me to start? I'll start. I picked the character Mont Jonathan Majors. I picked the same person in the last. <laughs> well, we've never had Francisco. this before. We've never done. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I picked. I have Jonathan Majors Montgomery from the Last Black Man in San Francisco as, as the rad dad. Yeah. Wow. We we uh, agreed. Yeah. So good. My runner up was John Goodman from Barton. Fink. Oh no! <laughs> like he. Okay. Was... I. We can't say anything, but I will say that for most of the movie, I thought he would be my rad dad pick. I there's a there's a point where it kind of shifted for me, <laughs> yeah. but then when it all kind of wrapped up, I'm like, you could still make the argument. It'd be hard to make. There's a couple characters from things we watched this week that like we can't make the argument without spoiling the movie. Yeah. So we're, we we leave those off the table. Can I tell you my points for why I picked Mont? Yeah, because I want to tell you mine, too. So you go first. OK, I have that he's supportive. He encourages dreams, but he also understands when another approach is needed I also have that the ending in particular made me feel like he was a rad dad in a way that I'm not going to talk about, mm-hmm. but that I very much felt that energy. Yeah. Tell me your points. Yep. I have supportive, <laughs> loving, kind, gentle. He puts in the work, whether that's solicited or not. Um, he listens. Yep. And my my big takeaway point was he recognizes what's important to me and he would move heaven and earth help me achieve my dreams that made me want to cry (laughs) there was a moment today i'm okay i don't want to take this away from the character of montgomery because he so deserves this and this is a very quick rad dad bad dad because we agreed but we were sitting were we eating breakfast Mm -hmm. and (laughs) you you said uh, a line from that dr strange says in spider-man no way home i like legitimately almost started crying uh i can't even remember what it was I, I, <laughs> call me steven <laughs> <laughs> like, i feel like i want to cry right now <laughs> is it because i'm delivering it oh really goodness. close to how he delivers yeah. it i'm like i'm starting, oh my God, I'm got starting tears. to cry okay stop stop um I, yeah there's a whole bit with dr strange i've seen spider-man no way home five times <laughs> yeah. 
other three times I always cry in that movie. Every time. And that's one of them. And then you just said it. And then anyway, but the way you also said that thing about Montgomery, who this is really about, it's not about Doctor Strange. He gets enough clout. We can leave it be. The real, what you said is really beautiful. Thank you. I think it's true. Um, so <clears throat> Mont, Jonathan Majors, be, be our, our dad. dad. I have a bonus daddy. Is it Jimmy Fails? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm. Yeah, I agree <laughs> completely. I'm in love with him. I knew you would. Yeah. Jimmy fails. Hello. Wow. Wow. <laughs> he is just, so the word we kept using is beautiful. He seems like a beautiful soul. Big time. Like oh, just, yeah. There's a general gentleness and beauty to the last black man in San Francisco, including the, like all the people in it. Like, we've seen Jonathan Majors play a far less gentle person. I mean, I mean actually, even in in his MCU role, there is a certain... He's not he's not loud. No. But he's a little more, more cocky, you know? Um, I'm so excited. I'm, so, I'm just so excited for Jonathan Majors to be getting a little bit more... Well, and like... Known. But I want to I see... I want to see Jimmy Fails do more things. Apparently, he was in that Pieces of a Woman, which I'm not... I'm really not that interested in seeing. And, like, I don't mm. think he's really done much else. So, like, Jimmy Fails, you deserve bonus daddy. But also, I just want to see you do more things. And, like, if you want to be my best friend... Hello... I, I'm glad... I, I don't live anywhere near you, I'm sure. You probably live in L.A. We've talked such trash about it. But you want to be friends? Call me. Yeah. Hit us up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Baddad.raddad. Um, do you want to hit us with the rad wreck of the week? Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a little bit of a longer one. We've been meaning to talk about this for a while. It is, um, it's something that's so fundamental to the way we watch movies. So yes, we do this mystery movie pick thing and we love it. And we're so humbled and happy that some people are starting from listening to us are starting to adopt mystery movie picks into their own ways they watch movies or adapting it to be to be something that works for them. I think that's so cool. Thanks for making us influencers. Um, <laughs> there's another way we watch movies that I would like to challenge people to try. And that's that we always watch through to the end of the credits. This is something that you did prior to us ever meeting, I believe. Yeah. Um, and at first, so I love you dearly. Oh, same. <laughs> You don't always explain why you do things. You just do them. Mm-hmm. You're you're different about that now than you were when you were in high school. Yeah. Um, which is when we met. We met when we were 17. Yep. Yep. And you, I don't think you... I, I don't have a recollection of you explaining to me why you did this. All of a sudden, just like, you're not talking and the credits are rolling. <laughs> um, and you'll do that if we go to... Well, you in the past, you would do that when we went to movies with friends. I'm like, we got to tell them ahead of time that we like to sit through the credits. So I think I was like a little bit confused, embarrassed, awkward about it at first. <laughs> but when I started to be open to the idea of just sitting through the credits, I literally cannot imagine watching movies any other way. Sitting through the end of the credits, both in the theater and at home, and like, I'm going to talk about something a little bit later that I don't want to talk about now in terms of the theater. My favorite thing about movies, I love art of all kinds. And I like trying to experience new kinds of art that maybe I, I typically don't understand or I'm not drawn to. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. But what I love about movies that I find unique is that you can both have a shared and an individual experience. Mm. 
Like yeah. we can read a book, you know, you can be in a book club and be reading a book along with another person, but you're not literally experiencing the book at the exact same moment. You know, like you could read over my shoulder, that'd be annoying. So we don't do that. We've had times where we've like gone out and like listened to a whole album together. And that, that definitely, I think is more, more like that. But there's something about experiencing music alone first that I think is particularly special. Um, so it's, it's that thing of a movie where it's both a communal and an individual experience at once that I find so special. And when I watch a movie and I'm really engrossed in a movie, like particularly Incendies and Last Black, Black Man in San Francisco did that to me this week in very different ways. One I was just gutted by and the other I was just like transported by. But in both of them, reality kind of fell away for me. When I'm watching a movie that I'm really into, reality kind of disappears. It's like reading a good book, right? Or listening to good music. Just you're, you're totally teleported into that space. I need some time to come back from that place I've been teleported to. There's nothing that can punctuate my sensitive soul. I'm a very sensitive person. I feel my feelings big. And I'm sensitive to all of the actual, like, senses in the world, to sound and light and all of those things. You know, when I'm sitting with, you know, a good movie often has, like, a very impactful final scene or something that's making you think. I often tell my students, like, hey, this final scene might be abrupt. Sit with it first. Just try and think about what you're feeling about it first. I'm not ready for someone to turn to me and say they loved it or hated it or let's try and get to our car or whatever it may be. I need to sit with the feelings I just had and the experience I just had for a bit. And the credits allow you to do that. So the credits become for me, sitting through the credits, whether we're at home or at the theater, becomes this kind of space to allow me to get out of the experience I had in the movie, return to reality. And it's the credits are this kind of liminal space in between where I can start to move back into reality. And merge my individual experience with the shared one I'm going to now have had. I've been having this individual experience. Maybe there's been moments of like laughter together, but mostly you're experiencing it on your own. And now I get to merge that individual experience with the shared experience I had with usually you, but whoever I watched the movie with. I think you've put that so beautifully. Thank you. And I think I it makes me so happy that this was something that I brought to the table yeah. and didn't necessarily have the words for or you know knew how to describe why I started doing this because I started doing this in high school when I worked at the theater I just started staying till the end of the credits and it was just something I started doing and I love that it's something that you've adopted and now we do it together and it's just kind of taken on this whole another level and there's this understanding that we've developed with each other that and, and with our people in our lives like we're gonna if all things go as they're supposed to go, we've been tricked for two weeks about when everything everywhere all at once is going to come out. But if everything goes as it's supposed to, we're going to go with two of our really close friends. And, um, you know, even in, in arranging this via text message, you know, I, I've told, we, we know we have to sit through the credits. <laughs> you know, people know this about us. So because we give people the heads up and they don't have to. You can go, but we're going to stay. I always loved how you prefaced, prefaced it before, though. Would you take, we would take somebody to <laughs> Elliot's theater. weird and he Elliot's, wants to stay through the credits. Elliot does this weird thing where but, he wants to you know, stay, sit through the credits. Something that I would liken it to is like not like leaving partway through the final song at a concert. Yeah. Like I... You're more concerned about beating the traffic than you are about like experiencing the moment, finishing together. this experience. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm I'm like that in all aspects of my life. 
I don't mind waiting in traffic. I don't mind being stuck in a traffic jam if I've got good music playing. I don't mind waiting in a long lineup if I'm with good company. Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather stand in line with a person who I can chat with and we can have some laughs and we can talk while we wait for this long line as opposed to going into separate lines to see which one is faster. Like I, you know, so I don't need to get in, into my car as soon as the movie's done. What I'd rather do is sit with the experience I had with it. And hey, guess what? There's got all the traffic's going to be gone by the time you get out now. So I love it. And I think this was the week we've been meaning to talk about this for a while because it's so fundamental to not just how we watch movies, but how we experience and understand what movies do for us. And this felt, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I really, I really gotta, really gotta pee. <laughs> so <I'll, laughs> yeah. I will, I will cut duck out during the credits um, at home usually. But Incendies, the ending so gutted me. I was not prepared to even look you in the eyes yet. Yeah. I sat through those credits with my cheeks puffed out and my lower lip <laughs> pouted and just kind of, and then even when it was time, like when the credits finally finished, you know, we kind of just like big sighs turned to each other and are like, whew. And then the same thing with Last Black Man in San Francisco. We were both experiencing our own emotional experience with it, that it was like, we just really needed to sit with that as, you know, when I, th- I think about it in this way, like the filmmakers chose particular songs to be on during that, that often feel very, very, very much in line with guiding the close of your emotional experience. Um... I love when I start hearing people come back to reality who have also stayed in the theater and just starting to hear the chitter chatter during the credits. Like we don't always sit silently through the whole credits, but a natural rhythm kind of forms of when, at what point are we ready to now join our experiences together? And when we've been dissonant on that, like when we've been, it's been upsetting. <laughs> yep. Um, at one point we'll talk about when you uh, popped my Bo Burnham inside bubble too quickly yeah. after the end of it. And like, We had a talk about it where I said, you know, at this point, I think we now have an understanding that if one of us is ready to talk and the other person isn't yet, it would just be like, give give me some space, which actually happened when we watched Six Feet Under, Mm -hmm. which was we watched Six Feet Under. And I said, um, the final episode of Six Feet Under, if you've seen it, you absolutely know what we're talking about. And and we watched the credits and it all ended. And then I like went to turn to you and you were just a mess, racked with grief. And you kind of said, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Yeah. And I, and we put something else on for a bit. So good consent. Um, where, <laughs> but you know, as, aside from all that, um, there's something really cool that I've now that I've now come to do is that like also just look at the labor that's gone into the movie, look at all those names of the people associated with it because it's not just the director, it's not just the writer, it's not just the starring cast, it's all these people whose labor went into it. I love looking at the thanks, um, which is something I've started to do in the books I read. I like reading the acknowledgement page, and like. I also love that like they were also very there was consideration put into the music that's playing during movie credits. Mm-hmm. Some movies have no music. Some movies ch- choose to show, you know, a collection of different pieces. Some have audio playing of like characters talking. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a reason for it. And then I like being able to just kind of, you know, see where it was made. I like being yeah. able to you know if there's a song I liked, I get to see who who wrote it, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to to sit through the credits that aren't just well it's a Marvel movie and there's a scene at the end yeah um and it's I I don't know I really I I would I would love to encourage those of you who are listening to maybe try it once or twice try it once at home try it once in the theater 
Now, the thing that people I've, I've heard online, I've heard other people say it to me, is that it's rude to the movie theater staff to stay to the end of the credits. So what I'll say to that, as somebody that used to work in a movie theater, I didn't like when people stay to the end <laughs> credits because it means that we have to wait till they leave till we yeah. can start cleaning that theater, which can be a pain in the butt. So, you know, typically when we're the last ones leaving the movie theater because we've stayed through the credits and there's a staff member that's usually standing there yeah. waiting to clean it, you know, usually give them a thank you. Yeah. Be very nice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, be kind. And but, you know, don't feel rushed. Like you paid you paid price of admission to go see the movie. And you the get movies to see are it. slotted to have enough time to clean them in between. Yeah. But here's the other thing I'll say. Be a good person and clean up after yourself and then you don't have to feel bad about it. Please do. And like, please don't throw up. <laughs> oh, we will tell that story sometime. Not not us. Somebody else threw up at a theater. But, you know, I think we we always take our garbage with us. You know, I feel absolutely terrible if I actually make a mess. Um, so we try hard not to make a mess. Like, just clean up after yourself and then the staff isn't going to have as much to do there. So anyway, regardless of that, um, there's something I found profoundly impactful about experiencing coming back to reality during the credits and experiencing that film to its end point you know it was made and and choice choices and decisions were made up until that last production slide that or the last moment where it tells you the the date the copyright and the date it came out so i love doing that and that really really spoke to me this week when we had some movies that i need i genuinely needed the time and space to come back to reality from them yep that's it that's great um yeah. brad rack staying through the end of the credits yeah do it so thank you all so much for listening um and thank you for coming on this journey with us um through previous episodes and through this one we really appreciate it like i said last week this is a bright spot for us each week and we're still loving doing it very exciting um, next week's episode, we're actually going to have a special guest on and the three of us are going to watch movies throughout the week and then unpack everything we watched on our episode next Thursday. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at bad dot bad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> bad dad dot rad dad. You can also get a sneaky little peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our username, our use, loser names. Our <laughs> We're not losers. <laughs> our usernames are Elliot Cuss and Kylie Burton. The spelling for those are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love it if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Or even just share this out to people in your life that love movies or love podcasts or a little bit of both. That'd be amazing. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.